We are in this series called Charting the Course. And um, I don't know about you, but it, it is a new, new series. takes a little bit of time to get going. And, um, and for me, this week, in, in my preparation for the message, has been great just kind of reflected on last week and, um, and, and preparing for today. I mentioned at the beginning of the message in second service last week, I forgot to do it in first, just that we were having some problems with... Um, logistics in closing on our house in DeWitt and, um, and ask for second service to pray and they must be very spiritual but not as spiritual as you guys are in the 9 o'clock service. Anyway, um, God worked in some cool ways and um, we were able to close on our house on Turner uh, yes, uh, Friday morning and um, it was one of those things that we didn't think was going to be able to happen because of the logistical stuff that's there and um, and we were, and we're grateful. God is good. Uh, the other thing that I mentioned at the beginning of second service last week was we've got a house in Virginia, and uh, we would love for that house to sell. And um, if you can pray towards that end, that would be great. It's, uh, we moved from Virginia to Ohio in 2008, right in the midst of the, the um, housing market crash, and we still have that house. And uh, so we'd love for that to, to uh, go away. Um, Lots of stuff kind of rattling through my mind at the beginning of the message. Tim Chantier a couple of weeks ago mentioned something that, that I just want to put out there again. He said, you know, if, if you have a takeaway from the message and you want to email me um, out of that message, that would really help me in terms of how I prepare and how I process the message. And I want to echo that. Um, I, would, I would love to have feedback from you to say, oh, that was really meaningful. Or if God is, is working on something out of you... Uh, something that comes out of the message, working on your heart, and you want to shoot me an email, um, my email's up on the, on the website. It's rruble at northpointcc.org. How's that? That's starting to come. Uh, and um, I, would, I would love to have some, some um, interaction and some feedback on that if, if you would like to do that. We finished last week uh, talking about those worship questions. Do you remember those worship questions? to say, if we're charting the course, if we're talking about worship, what are, what are the things that, that we kind of need to take away? And one of those questions was, who or what do you worship? I hope that's been kind of spinning through your mind this week. Um, what steps can I take to, to worship God every moment of the day? That was the second question. Third question was, have I made worship about me? Fourth question was, what's going on in my heart that's revealed as we worship? And the last question was, what can we do as a church to be a Second Chronicles 5 kind of church where God's presence fills this place and, and um, his presence is so tangible that, that, that we really can't do anything except respond in worship. This series, Charting the Course, it's about who we are as a church and it's really, bottom line, all about life transformation. If we worship God with our head and our heart, if we worship God in spirit and truth, our lives are going to be changed. I said at the beginning of the message last week that, we, that we've asked a challenge. We've made a challenge for everybody who calls North Point home to do three things. Do you remember what those three things are? To worship, to connect, and to serve. Those three things are all about our lives being transformed. Our goal isn't simply that you come and connect and worship. Our goal isn't simply that you get connected to the church. Our goal isn't simply that you do some third serve stuff. 
We want you to do those things so that God can transform your life. And today we're going to talk about that connection piece, about what it, what it means to be connected in the body and to have our lives transformed. If your life isn't changed, if it's not, if it's not, not transformed as a result of being a part of North Point, you're wasting your time. That's sobering, isn't it? If your life is not being changed by Jesus as a part of what happens here, we've missed the mark. As a church, we've missed the mark. We're wasting our time if lives aren't being changed. And I say that to people who, are, who may be here that are in kind of the seeking stage, that are just trying to figure out who God is at, the, at this point. That's a great place to be because God's going to show himself to you. He'll help you find him. If you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and your life isn't changing, something's wrong. God calls us to be in this process of life transformation. And and that's what this series is all about. A few weeks ago, we did did an event, a teaching time for leaders here at North Point. And out of that teaching time, um, a couple of people gave us some feedback um, about the teaching time, and I, I kind of want to set this up because many of you were at that, but many of you weren't at that. Eric and Lisa Longoria um, put their thoughts on video, and I want to share those because they, they, they're a great setup for today's message about being connected. Take a look up on screen. As a full-time fireman, I can see a parallel between discipleship and the way that I was trained. Um, They just don't put us on a fire truck and throw us into a burning building, say, go in, put the fire out. There is a method to the madness. You have to be taught certain things to keep yourself safe and keep others safe as well. One of the number one things through, through that is also that you're never alone. You never go into a burning building alone. And that you always have somebody else looking out for you, whether that's your other crew members or your officer. And I can see the parallel through discipleship with is the fact that as Christians, once we accept Christ and as our personal Lord and Savior, then unfortunately too many times we have done it our own without the discipleship. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. But yet in in the world of firefighting is they walk us through those processes and they train us extensively and it's something that goes on and on. We train throughout the week, even now as I've been there eight years, we still train and the same is with our faith. We have to walk side by side with each other, looking out for each other with our eyes focused on Christ, that he's the fire of our life and when we stay focused on Him and we're walking with each other, we can keep each other from stumbling, but we also encourage each other to grow closer to Him and we move closer together as a, as a unit. Eric talked about, about discipleship, about being connected as a key to being made into the image of Jesus. The importance of being in relationship when we talk about connecting, 
about being in relationship, um, uh, that, that's not just simply a value for North Point. There's a biblical concept that's there, a biblical um, uh, example that takes us there. And what I want to do is talk about three different pictures, three different methods um, that we find in Scripture that kind of lay that out. The first is the method of Jesus. How did Jesus accomplish life transformation? If you think about it, when Jesus came to earth and he came with this message of uh, the importance of, of displaying God's love for us and changing us, what did his methodology look like? Turn to Mark chapter 3 and let's start to read there. Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. And Jesus appointed twelve, whom he named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boorgenes, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew and Matthew, and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus' methodology to put the message through the entire world was to invest himself in 12 men and to create this group, this camaraderie, this bond of people together that, that in that context he could teach, he could train, and ultimately he could trust to do ministry. Uh, Jesus poured himself into those 12 men. I, when I read through the Gospels, it's, it's kind of interesting to see the interaction that Jesus has with those guys over and over and over again. Jesus would teach, and, and the disciples would say, we don't get it. Explain that parable to us. And Jesus would then go through the process of explaining it, and sometimes he would say, you know what, don't you understand yet? Don't you get it yet? Because they had had so much interaction. But in the context of that small group, in the context of that body, um, Jesus began to, ex uh, to uh, share his heart, to share the heart of the Father, and they began to get it over time. Um, uh, go back to, the f to that first slide, to the verse 13, if you would there, Jason. Um, it's interesting... That Jesus, it's, it says he called, him, called to him those who, whom he desired and they came to him. Um, he appointed 12 so that they might be with him. The context of today's message is all about being connected to each other. One of the disadvantages for us in living in America is that a part of the DNA for us as Americans is this fierce independence. We can pull ourselves up by our, foot, by our bootstraps. We have the ability, if we work hard enough, to make a name for ourselves, to create our own niche in life, and to do that by ourselves. If we work hard enough, if we're smart enough, we can, you know, we can get wealthy, we can have a house, we can do the American dream thing, all of that by ourselves. And that's not the picture of Scripture. Jesus called the twelve to him, not so that he could just dump information, but so that they could do life together. 
Because life transformation, life change happens most effectively in the context of relationships. I think that's true for all of us. When we allow people into our lives to speak into our lives, when we share with them, when we're transparent, um, all of a sudden God begins to do work in us that he can't do if we're just by ourselves. The methodology of Jesus was to take three years and pour himself into 12 guys who ultimately then could go and change the world. And they did. Jesus' methodology wasn't simply a method that, that he chose. It was the methodology that worked. And so the challenge for us is to say, do we have that kind of relationship with, with anyone? The second picture is a, is a picture of the church. When you begin to look at, um, go through the book of Acts, and you think about the New Testament church, the church in the book of Acts, there is a picture there, there's a methodology that describes what happened for the church. And it's two different kinds of experiences. There's a large group experience and a small group experience. Both of those things happen um, simultaneously. They happen all the time. They happen consistently. Uh, if you go to Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost, the, the response of the day of Pentecost when Peter preaches for the first time and says, you've killed the Messiah. And all of Jerusalem, everybody who's there for, for uh, Passover and Pentecost says, what do we do? We've killed the Messiah. And, um, and Peter says, repent, be baptized. Holy Spirit's going to come in you. Your sins are going to be forgiven. And, and 3,000 respond to the message. 3,000 people. All of a sudden there's this instant church and in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, it says, Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. In the temple and house to house. Those are the two pictures. Today's message if you want your life to be changed, to be made into the image of Jesus, you've got to have not just the temple experience, not just the large group experience. You've got to be connected to other people in a relationship that, that, that the book of Acts describes as house to house, home to home. Uh, in Acts chapter 5, those words are echoed. Verse 42 of Acts chapter 5. Every day in the temple I can't read that back that far. I was trying to read this. Sorry. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Every day in the temple and from house to house. Do you see that pattern? In Acts chapter 20, Paul says, I, didn't, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching to you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that pattern? There's always the public proclamation, the public teaching, and the house-to-house, what's happening at that level. I don't know about you, um, but for me, there's a different kind of conversation that happens when I'm in someone's home, when I'm eating food with someone, than, than I have on Sunday morning at church. Is that true? You know, God speaks clearly through the public teaching. 
through the, through the teaching time, through the public pro- proclamation. But when we're having that conversation that happens as we eat, all of a sudden, God's ability to speak into my life is amplified because it's with people that I'm doing life with. Uh, Deb and I have just come out of a small group in Ohio that, uh, that it really has been our, our lifeblood for the last several years. Um, it, was, it was a group of, uh, of eight people, and typically what would happen is we would go to, uh, to Rob and Jody Oak's house. They liked to cook, and so they would always have stuff. We never went there for dinner, but they always had dinner. So we had two dinners the night that, that we did group together. And we would spend about an hour just eating together and talking about what was going on in everybody's lives. For an hour, we're talking about the kids, we're talking about work, we're talking about you know, vehicles that, that work or don't work, we talk about vacations, we're talking about all kinds of stuff. And out of that, um, out of that relationship, we would oftentimes, even in the midst of that, talk about spiritual things. But when we began to study together, when we began to look at Scripture together, all of a sudden there was a level of safety to be able to say, you know what? I don't understand this. I don't understand what Jesus is saying in this passage. And to feel like everybody was, was going to love the person who was saying that um, because they had already expressed that. There was, there was a level of safety that happened in that group um, that allowed God's Spirit to work house to house as well as in the temple. Jesus had a methodology of investing in the twelve. For three years, they, they traveled around Galilee. They went into Jerusalem. They, they fished together. They did all kinds of things, public and private, together. After Jesus ascended into heaven, the methodology of the church was to come together with everyone in a large group together, but also um, to spend time together on a daily basis, allowing God to speak into their lives and to change the last picture that I, that I want to share is a picture that comes from the New Testament that, that when you look collectively through the epistles, through the letters that are written to each church or to individual people, there's a phrase that comes up over and over and over again that describes for us what it means to be connected. Um, one of, the, one of the things that I um, wrestled with this week in talking about being connected is it's easy for us to begin to think, oh, you know what, the challenge today is to, is to get connected into a group, to, you know, to be connected in a life group. And if I can just find a group that I can go to on Tuesday night at 7.30, everything's going to be okay. I wrestled with that because that's not the goal. The goal is for Jesus to transform your life. And we believe that the best place that that can happen, the best context for that, is in relationships. And so the challenge is to be in relationships that the New Testament describes. We're, uh, turn to John 13, verse 34 and 35. And Jesus says to his disciples, an overall overriding principle that describes what then these next scriptures are going to live out. Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus said the distinctive that would separate his followers from the rest of the world would be the love that they have for each other. That's a scary thing for us when we think about living that out. Because if we only have Sunday morning relationships, how do we, how do we show that? We can't have a transforming kind of love if we're only together for an hour, an hour and 15 minutes each week. But when we begin to do life together, all of a sudden that changes. Go to the next scripture. Go ahead and, and, and go to the next one. Thanks. Um, Romans chapter 12. Uh, and what we're going to do is go through about six one another scriptures. And if you're interested, um, out at the Welcome Center on your way out, I've got a, I've got a, a handout there that, that lists about uh, 15 one another scriptures. And that's not even exhaustive. exhaustive. If you want to go home and just um, Google or, or use, a, use a, a Bible resource tool and, and search for one another um, and you'll begin to see all of the scriptures in the New Testament that teach about what life looks for us as we interact together. Paul writes to the church in Rome, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. If we're to love one another, we've got to be in relationship. Paul writes to the church at Galatia, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, there are some times on Sunday morning that people will come and you say, how you doing? And, and, and someone may be real and say, you know what, I'm really struggling. This happened this week. I'm concerned about this. That will happen sometimes, but more often than not, what happens on Sunday morning? How you doing? Doing great. And you go out to the car afterwards and you think, I am not doing great at all. I am struggling with, with, uh, with something that's just oppressive. Paul says to the church in Galatia, bear one another's burdens. We've got to be in relationship with people in the body of Christ that can help carry that burden for us. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as, as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another. There's that relationship piece. I love Ephesians 4.32. Um, when our kids were little, um, it was one of the first scriptures that, that we taught to the kids. And Dev had a great way of teaching by, um, by rhymes or cadences or songs, teaching scripture. And so whenever I hear Ephesians 4.32, I think... Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Ephesians 4.32. That was the lesson for our kids. And they love to get to the end, to the da, da, da at the end. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Do you see the kind of relationship that describes? That's what God calls us to when we're connected to each other. Next slide. 
Uh, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, encourage each other and build one another up. Again, those one another scriptures talk about relationship. They describe relationship. And that's true no matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're in high school or junior high or elementary school. It doesn't matter if you're young parents. It doesn't matter if your kids are getting older and you're getting close to the empty nest stage. It doesn't matter if the kids have been gone a long time. It doesn't matter if you're in retirement. It doesn't matter if if you're getting towards the end of life here on earth. We've got to be in relationship with others in the body of Christ that that can encourage us, that can challenge us, that can bear burdens together. Uh, The writer of Hebrews says, exhort one another, and I put this one up in particular because it says, every day. It doesn't say exhort one another on Sundays as you gather to worship. Exhort one another every day. Most of us have a relationship with one or two good friends. They may or may not be Christians, may may or not be um, followers of Jesus. But the New Testament teaching describes us being in relationship in a way that on day by day, from house to house, in the context of that relationship, there's an encouragement that happens that, that, that allows God's Spirit in us to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. James 5 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That gets scary, doesn't it? Um, I, I've thought in the context of this whole connection piece, why is it that we're hesitant to get connected to another group of Christians, to get connected into a small group? Why is it that we're hesitant to be transparent about our lives? And, uh, and there are a lot of reasons. Sometimes I think it's just because we're so busy. We think, you know what, I've got this on Monday, this on Tuesday, this on Thursday, this on Friday. Wednesday night, I, I can't be in group. I've just got too much stuff going on. That's, that's the world that we live in. We live in a busy world and that's, a, that's a, a fear that's there. The thing I would encourage you to say is, um, you know what, if Scripture's teaching is plain about being in relationship and we're too busy to be in relationship, we're probably too busy. We probably need to begin to find some things to say no to so that we can say yes to the things that God calls us to. Um, one, of the, one of the other... Uh, one of the other fears, I think, I, I think that we're hesitant to get in a group because we're afraid of being transparent. Um, I've done a, a lot of um, premarital counseling, done a lot of weddings over the years, and I, I love doing weddings. I love having a relationship with a couple ahead of time and being able to talk to them about what it takes to have a marriage that lasts. Usually when I talk to them, I talk about the about the what it looks like to go through the journey of a relationship. You know, when you first meet each other and, and think, oh, they're pretty cool. There's all of this stuff that happens that, that it's like, oh man, we like this the same and, and they're so neat about this and all these things together. And then there comes a time in that relationship when you begin to say, will they still like me if they know X about this? In high school, it's, I think the classic thing is, 
you know, will he still like me if he sees me without makeup? You know, when we begin to be transparent, there's this fear of will you still love me in that? And I think that there's a fear of getting into relationship, into the context of a group, because when we begin to show our junk, that's scary. What will people think? And yet, the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit is that when we're transparent, when we lift that load off, um, God has the ability to change us and to make us into the image of, of Jesus. One, uh, one other uh, thing I think that keeps us from being in the context of a group, being in relationship, and, and, and um, it's the word selfishness. Our lives revolved around our, uh, revolve around ourselves. I, I say that um, in just in terms of being transparent. Uh, I remember having the realization, uh, this is several years ago, and thinking, you know what? Every sin in my life stems from selfishness. Every sin comes because I care more about me than I do about God. And sometimes I think we don't get in a group because we're just selfish. I don't want to do that. That's not for me. You know, I, I want to live my life for me. And, um, and recognize that when we give that up, God has the ability to change us. The message today, the challenge to connect, is a difficult one because I've only been here uh, three or four weeks. And we're not ready to all of a sudden have 200 people say, I want to get in the group. I, I struggled with that in today's message because I, because I'm, I, I am uh, challenging you to say you've got to be in a relationship. I don't know how we're going to do that. I don't know how to make that happen yet. We're on a path that we want that to take place. But I want you this morning to just kind of pray and think through, God, who would you have me in group with? It may be that you've been in a life group at North Point in the past, and, and through the summer they're kind of on pause or, or um, maybe you kind of drifted apart. It may be that you've been in a life group and you kind of walked away from it. Let me encourage you as a result of today's message to, to re-energize that group and to get back in. It may be that, that there are a group of believers that you connect with that are outside of North Point. And let me encourage you to, to be um, consistent and intentional in developing those relationships, allowing them to speak into, the, into your life so that God can do his work um, through his spirit um, in you. It may be that as a result of, of today's message that you're thinking, you know, um, I need to be in a group and maybe I can lead a group. And let, let me encourage you to pray about that and, and then let's, let's talk about it because we desperately need um, scores of, of life groups here at North Point where people can be in relationship. Um, let me say just a couple of things about that um, in terms of kind of what, what I picture um, happening here. Life groups oftentimes happen in two different ways. One is that they're organized and structured and people are put into groups geographically or, or um, by any different kind of means. We say, okay, this is the group that you're going to be in. God can work through that. 
And he does work through that many, many times. But sometimes it just becomes a chore. It's like, oh, you know what? I, I have life group on Thursday night. Yeah, we got to go. It's the right thing to do. I know God needs to speak in my life. I'm going to go do that. But it's this burden. If that's the case, that's probably not the right life group for you. Because what God, what we've been talking about in the one another's is being in a group of people that are committed to each other, that are doing life together, that love each other in a real practical way. I'd encourage you to find a group of people that you have something in common with. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're in the same age category. It doesn't ma- mean that you're in the same geographical area. It doesn't, mean, um, it, it doesn't mean any of the things that we would use to identify people would necessarily, that that would be the case. But maybe it is that you just have a common desire to get to know and to love on each other. Um, the, the groups that Deb and I have been in that um, we treasure the most are groups truly that the Holy Spirit brought us together. Um, one, one of the groups a number of years ago, um, Deb and I said, well, you know what, we're going to lead a life group. And she stood out in the outside area, outside the auditorium on Sunday morning and just prayed, God, who should we invite to our group? She invited people she didn't know. Uh, she invited people that we knew casually and she invited some good friends. And, and um, what happened was as that group of people came together really, truly led by the Holy Spirit, um, incredible life transformation happened. People who were far from God came to know him and, and are now leaders in the church. Um, people who were kind of on the margins um, got connected and are leading ministries now. Um, the Holy Spirit will bring your group together when you begin to pray, God, who should I do life with? Um, Aaron Ralston is a name of, a, uh, of, of an adventurer, a hiker, a mountain climber. In 2003, in April of 2003, he was hiking in Canyonlands National Park in Utah. You may know the story of Aaron. It, it, was, uh, it was turned into a movie called 127 Hours. Let me just read the description of what happened to him. While he was descending a slot canyon, a suspended boulder he was climbing down from became dislodged, crushing his right hand against the canyon wall. Ralston hadn't informed anyone of his hiking plans, so no one was searching for him. Assuming he would die, he spent five days slowly sipping his small amount of remaining water, approximately 12 ounces, five days, and slowly eating his small amount of food, two burritos, while trying to extricate his arm. His efforts were futile. He couldn't free his arm from the 800-pound chalk stone. After three days of trying to lift uh, and break the boulder, the dehydrated and delirious Ralston prepared to amputate his trapped right arm at a point on the mid-forearm in order to escape. On the fourth day, he realized that in order to free his arm, he would have to cut through the bones in it. But the tools that he had were insufficient to do so. On the fifth day, he carved his name, his date of birth, and presumed date of death into the sandstone canyon wall and videotaped his last goodbyes to his family. He didn't expect to survive the night. After waking at dawn the following day on May 1st, he realized that he could break his radius and ulna bones 
using torque against his trapped arms. He did so, performed the amputation, which took an hour with his multi-tool, which included a dull two-inch knife. After freeing himself, Ralston still had to get back to his car. He climbed out of the slot canyon in which he had been trapped, rappelled down a 65-foot sheer wall one-handed, then hiked out of the canyon in the hot midday sun. He was eight miles from his vehicle and had no phone. However, while hiking out of the canyon, he encountered a family on vacation from the Netherlands, Eric and Monique Meyer and their son Andy, who gave him food and water and hurried to alert the authorities. Ralston feared he would bleed to death. He lost 40 pounds and 25% of his blood volume. The rescuer searching for Ralston, alerted by his family that he was missing, had narrowed the search down to Canyonlands and flew by in their helicopter. He was rescued six hours after amputating his arm. Aaron Ralston made a decision to go it alone and it almost cost him his life. He's really the exception in that kind of environment. Um, look at this quote that, that he said, and I think it applies to this whole message of the importance of us connecting to other believers. If you want someone to show up and help you if something bad happens, you better tell someone where you're going. Of course I wanted to, someone to know, but I'd made a choice, and it was a choice I was going to have to live with. I can't tell you how many times over the last 30 years that I've talked to people in crisis spiritually that have said, you know what, I'm far from God. I have strayed so far. I've got no one to blame but myself, but I don't have anybody to help me. They pulled a Ralston. So many times people have said, you know what, I'm going through this crisis and there's no one around to help because they had chosen to go alone. There's a very clear challenge. And again, I, we don't have it all figured out in terms of what it's going to look like for us at North Point. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit that he's planting seeds today that will allow groups to just begin to grow and blossom. They don't have to be um, forced, but they happen naturally as people invest in each other and begin to do life together. Life change happens in the context of relationships. We've got to be in those relationships. We've got to connect. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we confess this morning that um, it's so easy for us to think that we know best. It's easy for us when things are going good to live lives on our own, to separate ourselves from others. And yet, God, when we look at your word, it's clear that we've got to be in a relationship, that we can't do it alone. Lord, may we as a church be a place That, is, that doesn't just do relationships. It is a place of relationships. It's a place that, that 
people are, are living their lives together, encourage each in, uh, encouraging each other, exhorting each other, building each other up, carrying each other's burdens, praying when they're caught in sin, being transparent. God, help us to be that kind of safe place so that we can be made into the likeness of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.